Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When we get Friday's employment report, yeah, that one from the Labor Department, the one that comes out at 830, it is going to be so bad that we're going to be debating whether we're in a serious recession or a depression. We have pockets, though, of strength like technology and healthcare, But those pockets can't offset a very weak backdrop, can they? We saw it again today. The Dow lost 218 points. The S&P 500, it tumbled 0.7%. But the tech-heavy Nasdaq actually had the darn gall to rally 0.51% and was up a percent most of the day. Oh, the indignity. If you make technology that helps businesses cut costs by firing people or having them stay at home, well, then you're doing great. If you make something that people literally can't live without, like medicine, ooh, terrific. But just about everything else is struggling here, hence the staggering number of layoffs. And yes, the big drop in the index I am worried about, or at least a lot of what I'm worried about, which is the S&P 500. It gets worse. If you want a business that's levered only to the U.S. economy and not China's economy, well, now your stock's getting walloped. Over and over this earnings season, we've seen companies report quarters where they had an incredible two and a half months, and then their business fell off a cliff at the end of March. These companies desperately need the lockdown to end. But even that might not be enough as long as tons of consumers are still worried about getting sick. Rational. Okay, now that the economy is gradually opening, many investors believe that there will be winners and losers. But crucially, the winners are the same companies that were winning during the lockdown. Alphabet, Facebook, Microsoft, and the like. The ones I love. The ones I tell every every night. I say, they're fine. I mean, while the list of losers, though, it's getting a little longer. Classic example, the consumer staples. Procter. McCormick. Yeah, the spice company. Love this stuff. Almost reached for this. Wrong function. And I got to tell you something. Those stocks have been winners. But today they got hit, as many people are now betting that the economy could come back strong. The so-called V. However, nobody wants to bet on the retailers and the restaurants, the stocks that should benefit the most from a comeback, the so-called V, because social distancing may be too hard for them. OK, I talked about that last night. We had to take out seven, seven tables out of uh, uh, out of uh, 11 in one of my restaurants. I guess we can just quadruple the price that we ask people to pay. All right. All that stuff's getting hit. But the highest of tech and med tech flyers, the Amazons, Shopify, the Twilio's, remember them, Dexcom, PayPal, unstoppable. Or at least they seem so. 
At the end of the day, this action makes little sense. The staples and the retailers should be moving in opposite directions, and the techs have to have some economic sensitivity, don't they? I mean, a little like, doesn't Adobe have companies they retail? You know what I mean? I mean, either we're headed for a brutal recession, or maybe we're not. In other words, somebody's wrong here. So how do we deal with this contradiction? The way we always do with man money. I like to resolve these situations by bringing in people who are smarter and better and more informed than I am. And right now, nobody knows more than the executives on the front lines of both health care and tech. OK. And um, yes, retail. Executives like Larry Merlot, the CEO of CVS Health, which is one of the largest retailers in America and also one of the largest health insurance providers, thanks to its acquisition of Aetna. CVS just reported a terrific quarter. Believe me, it was. And they stuck to their guns with their guidance, most do. But while the stock spent most of the day higher and open really nicely, I think based on the excellent health care story, as I keep telling you that people like, it only succumbed to the gravitational pull of the other sector, the retail group, which is up against Amazon. And the Death Star clocked this one down 80 cents at the end of the day. I think it's curious. Maybe wrong, but don't take it from me. Let's hear from the man himself. Larry, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, Larry, you are at the cusp of pretty much everything of retail, of health care, and we are just mystified. You reported an amazing quarter today. You kept the guides intact. Most people are cutting. Both the front and back of the stores were good. Do you, honestly, I'm coming to you and saying, do you think the stock was just down because, well, that's the craziness of the market? Because I've been looking for someone doing as well as you, and it's hard to find. Well, Jim, you know, we've got a great strategy. We've got excellent execution. We're putting up the proof points. And, Jim, what we're seeing throughout this pandemic, this health crisis, quite frankly, is a validation of this, of our strategy of making health care local and simple while improving the health of those we serve. Jim, you and I have talked a lot about making health care local by meeting people where they are, whether it's in the community, in the home in the palm of your hand. And we are seeing use cases emerge through the pandemic that speak to the role of all three. Let's call it, Jim, you know, the omni-channel, you know, of healthcare. And, Jim, I'm hoping what we're seeing, these proof points, you know, serve as a catalyst uh, to, uh, the, to our, the growth of our stock and a validation of our strategy. Now, in your strategy, uh, you have uh – health hubs. You also have made a commitment to the president to have locations where you're doing testing. You're doing both. And where do you think we are just in terms of the rollout of testing away from you? Because I know you've got a thousand places that you do it. Yeah, Jim, you know what? We have had great results uh, you know, with our large-scale drive-through testing. By the end of this week, uh, we will have tested about 100,000 individuals with real-time results. And last week, we announced that we're going to make that testing even more local, bringing it uh, over the course of the month of May to nearly 1,000 CVS pharmacies. We're, uh, we're going to utilize our drive-throughs and, in our parking lots, and we're going to use the, uh, uh, the swab and send test. And, you know, we're also going to be using mobile capabilities to go into the historically underserved communities, which, you know, have been disproportionately impacted uh, by the virus. And, Jim, we're also working on a B2B solution for our Aetna and Caremark clients as they think about their various returned work programs. No, well, this would be the first time I wanted to get tested last week. OK. And my doctor said, you're in New York. That you, we, we, we just can't just test you. Will this be a case where if I called ahead, I got an appointment, I can get a, a test just because I want to get a test to you know how, whether I'm OK? 
Well, Jim, we have been using the CDC guidelines, and it's a great example of how we brought our digital capabilities to life. You, you go online at CVS.com. You go through a simple checklist, and if you have any of those symptoms, it validates your need for a, a testing strategy or you know, through validation uh, by your doctor. And you know, we, like I mentioned, we have tested uh, about 100,000 individuals you know, utilizing those capabilities. Gotcha. Okay, now let's talk about the, uh, how retail's doing. Uh, you had a really good quarter. I'm trying to figure out how much of it is sustainable, how much of it was because of the pandemic and therefore, say, uh, pantry stocking, so to speak. And what's your outlook, given the fact that we're going into a recession, but at the same time, we're opening up the economy. I'm trying to make some sense of it. Yeah, Jim, our, our retail business did have a great quarter. Uh, year-over-year operating profit growth was up to, uh, 28%. Jim, about 40% of that was the result of uh, activities directly related to COVID during the month of March. We had an awful lot of pull-forward prescription uh, refill activity, uh, as well as pantry filling, whether it was the medicine cabinet or uh, or the cleaning cabinet. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that reflected uh, in our April results. But, Jim, I got to tell you, I couldn't be more proud of the work that, you know, our retail teams, our pharmacists have done in terms of you think about those millions of Americans that, you know, suffer from chronic disease and the maintenance medications associated with keeping them happy. And I could tell you, pharmacists have done a great job of making sure that therapy for those individuals has not been interrupted. At the same time, uh, uh, I'm wondering if there isn't some drop-off. For instance, my CVS, which I go to all the time, changed their hours. They just changed their hours and they shortened their hours. And to me, if I were a CVS, I'd lengthen my hours. Yeah, Jim, what we had seen and and what we responded to as the shelter-in-place orders took place uh, we, we did roll back uh, our hours to some degree. And, you know, as the shelter-in-place orders are now being reversed, we're returning uh, our uh, hours of operation to their normal uh, trajectory. Okay. Now, one of the things that, that really does steam me as my travel trust is a, the long-term shareholder in CVS, you mentioned telemedicine, which you are unbelievable. A 600% increase. Immediately, Teladoc goes up, but you're, you don't get any credit. I mean, but you really are the pioneer of telemedicine. Well, you know what, Jim? The, telemedicine is a great example of you know, the use cases that I was alluding to earlier that really bring our strategy to life. You know, uh, healthcare in the palm of your hand. And, and Jim, you know, it's interesting that, you know, what we have seen is telemedicine utilization, not just for, you know, individuals with the COVID symptoms, but, uh, you know, telemedicine utilization for, uh, PCP type of activity and even, you know, in some respects, uh, specialty services. So, you know, we're, we're very pleased with, uh, with the growth that we're seeing there. And, and Jim, some of the numbers that we talked about on our earnings call this morning, you know, there are times when you muscle improvements through. The increases that we're seeing are the result of the investments that we've been making in our business. Now, I do want to ask you, the companies whose stocks are going up the hardest are companies with great balance sheets. I know you still have work to do in your balance sheet, and you actually took down some more money. Where are you in terms of making it so that we feel that one day we're going to go back to the old days of CVS raising its uh, dividend every year? Yeah, well, Jim, first of all, we, uh, you, 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 well, by the end of this year, we would have paid down about $6 billion of debt you know, tied to the acquisition, and you know, we are on target to... Uh, delever our, 
you know, debt ratios down to the low three times by 2022. And, you know, we're very comfortable with that plan. And, you know, we continue to uh, maintain our dividend, uh, you know, at, uh, you know, $2 a share. Right. So, uh, you know, we're continue to, uh, you know, work to enhance value for our shareholders. All right. Last question. And I know this is the toughest one. Everyone's just talking about, listen, when we get the vaccine, we're going to be fine. Get the vaccine. Uh, do you think one, do you think we can get one? Two, do you think the end of the year is too aggressive? And three, can we all get it? Or would it just be boutique instead of instead of scale? Well, Jim, once again, you're talking about the role uh, of our business model, because, you know, let's let's carry a bit of optimism with us, because I do believe that, you know, our researchers, our scientists, you know, will develop that vaccine. Uh, you know, some say, you know, early next year, some say, you know, 12 to 18 months. But, you know, uh, let, let's be optimistic that it is coming. And, Jim, you think about those millions of Americans that need access to that vaccine. Right. That's the role that CVS will play. All right. Well, look, Larry, I want you to stay safe. I, the quarter was great. The market's a little nutty. You're in the S&P, but you're not in the NASDAQ. And I think that's what hurt the stock. Larry Merlo, CEO of CVS. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Jim. All right, my exclusive with, get this, Beyond Meat, up huge, Mattel, and then Waste Management just ahead. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call. At 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. When I was growing up in Philadelphia, we had three big TV stations, NBC, ABC, CBS. Sure, if the rabbit ears were pointed correctly, we could get Channel 29, whatever that was, and PBS. But if we were an advertiser trying to reach a mass audience, well, you went with one of the big three networks that are affiliate, Westinghouse at that point. You could also place ads in magazines or newspapers. We had the Inquirer and the Bulletin with its catchphrase, nearly everybody reads the Bulletin. Both had some real reach. We had a few radio stations, too. Then cable came along, offered much more targeted programming, and took market share from everyone else. Over the last 25 years, we've seen the rise of the Internet, and gradually all sorts of digital operators have pried ad dollars from old media. Unlike everything that came before, the web lets you reach a targeted audience, truly targeted, and you actually know whether your ads are being read or not. I saw this transformation coming, which is why I started TheStreet.com 25 years ago. Sure enough, the Internet changed everything. Newspapers fell apart. I just got a charity appeal to give money to the nonprofit owner of the Philadelphia Inquirer, basically to keep it going well. The bulletin folded years ago. Most of the major newspaper chains have been destroyed. Terrestrial radio is of little consequence for many advertisers. Magazines fighting for their lives. Some are charities. Television's hurting, especially cable. Heck, even major online media operations are struggling here. Because while the web has been a goldmine for those who can reach both segmented and en masse consumers, that goldmine is now controlled 
by the new big three, Alphabet, Amazon, and Facebook. With this latest quarter, they've pretty much become the only game in town. Every town. Their digital takeover happened practically overnight. Only a couple of years ago, there was still a widespread sense that a bunch of web channels would be winners. A bunch would be important advertisers like Pinterest, Snap, Twitter, Yahoo, Yelp. They all had tons of eyeballs. Most newspapers have disappeared, but the ones with great digital exposure were thriving like the New York Times, at least for advertising. And you had more specialty sites, especially sites for reviews. Uh, it just all seemed to be coming together, especially sites that catered to travelers. Finally, though, the last bastion, you still had a ton of advertising centered around live sports programming on TV. Almost all the big teams, they, all the campaigns, they, they started with the kickoff and the jump ball. But then the coronavirus came along and shut down all sports without any games. Well, there's nothing to advertise against. Big digital platforms, Yahoo was subsumed by Verizon Media. Maybe it'll exhume it someday. Yelp, we don't need no sticking Yelp. Restaurants are all closed. Travel, dead industry. Barry Diller, the chairman of Expedia, says they'll only spend a billion dollars in ads this year, down from $5 billion last year. Airbnb's gotten hammered. Revenue's down 50% year over year. Big layoffs. Those were huge sources of ad spending, but not anymore. How about the New York Times? Okay, today the gray lady predicted a stunning 50 to 55% decline in ad revenue. Now, the stock still managed to rally because they are doing unbelievably well with digital subscriptions. But it was a grim advertising forecast for the rest of the industry. caught my eye. This morning, Citigroup downgraded Snap to a sell. Said the ad estimate's too high. Snapchat? Mm, I don't know. Uh, most surprising, the stunning drop-off in Twitter and Pinterest. Before COVID, Twitter was a great place to launch events. Now there are no events, and the quarter was unloved. I thought Pinterest owned a lot of niche verticals, lots of leisure activities. But last night we learned that their ads had just grown shockingly weak. But you know who had truly blowout numbers? Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet, the parent of both Google and YouTube. All three took a massive amount of market share. They're selling more ads for everything from consumer packaged goods to deluxe items to sheets and towels and furniture. The big three always own small businesses. Now they also own all business, consumer, consumer packaging. That's why their stocks are strong. Facebook's been a dominant player for a while. Same goes Google with search. But I was stunned by the strength of YouTube and Amazon's advertising business. It came out of nowhere. They've now pulled away from the pack. Advertising is, once again, a three-horse race, just like when I was a kid, just like when it was just NBC, ABC, and CBS. Today, we have the same thing, only it's Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet. Let's go to Torsten in Connecticut, please. Torsten. Hey, now, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my, my question's about Mercado Libre, M-E-L-I, the e-commerce platform in Latin America. I'm intrigued that they diversified past their marketplace and the eBay offering they used to have into Mercado Pago, the payment system, which now actually other retailers are using. I got in at 548 last night. They crushed market expectations. They're now at 740. I'm wondering if I should ride this out or sell and buy. I know this sounds, I'm going to give you a twofer. I I know this sounds wrong, uh, but both Shopify, which is up huge, and Mercado Libre, which I was an original investor in, uh, they're both... They're fabulous. And, and no, you know, uh, up 121 is a sign uh, uh, not of, of uh, something you should bail. That quarter was great. It's just being revalued. Uh, you got to hold on to it. Wow. Let's go to Eric in New York. Eric. Hey, Jim. How's it going? I don't know, man. These are long days. How are you doing? All right. I watch you every day with my wife. Can you tell oh. me how quickly her name is Giselle? Giselle, how you doing? All right. Uh, all right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I got a question about a Northeast staple, Dunkin' Brands. Last week, quarter one earnings and revenues beat estimates. And earlier this week, they announced a new partnership with Uber Eats on top of their existing partnership with Grubhub. So right. what do you think of Dunkin' going forward? 
look, I, I recommend this stock for a very long time, and, and it's a good company. Uh, it is. Uh, but uh, but Starbucks is in at the cusp of a major, major turn. And I need you to go into Starbucks, not Dunkin'. Uh, I do like them both, like I said, but Starbucks stock's been knocked down. They've both been knocked down. But I think Kevin Johnson's got some really special initiatives coming. And you want to be there for that one. All right. Including Beyond Meat, by the way, which they uh, have a great relationship with. We'll hear from later. All right. It's in digital takeover. Alphabet, Amazon, and Facebook have become the only advertising games in town. What's for man money head, including my earnings exclusive with, as I just mentioned, Beyond Me, Mattel not doing that well, waste management. I don't know. Stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Yes. David, someone asked the other day, Jim, you're a little down, but he said, well, I've seen my wife once in three months, and it's called a pandemic. I guess I should be celebrating it. I miss my wife. Pandemic's a bit of a bummer, David. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Hey, I'm Kat Lasso. I'm Xavier Jernigan. And I'm Speedy Mormon. And together, we're the hosts of Spotify's new morning show, The Get Up. Every day, we're bringing you the biggest news stories and pop culture headlines. Ooh, and the conversations you need to be in on. Okay. Don't worry. If you're not a morning person, we're doing the work for you. So just search The Get Up, hit play, and listen up for everything you need to know. With a playlist made just for you. Listen now for free, only on Spotify. Every day it feels like we hear about another meatpacking plant that's become a coronavirus hotspot. Even with President Trump ordering these meat plants to stay open, we're starting to see shortages in beef and pork, which means higher prices. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised that Beyond Meat, the maker of plant-based burger and sausage alternatives, just reported a spectacular quarter last night. Here's a stock that's been a real wild trader, plummeting from 120s to 48 during the COVID crash, then rebounding to 100 as of today, as of yesterday, and then Beyond Meat reported this magnificent quarter last night. Surprise profit, although not to us, driven by much better than expected sales, up 141% year over year. While they had to pull their full-year forecast, who could blame them? Management explained that their sales accelerated once the pandemic took hold, thanks to the run on groceries. There's, that's, that's more than offsetting any pain on the food service sides that all these analysts are so worried about. No wonder the stock surged 20 Six percent today. Does it have more room to run? Let's dig deeper with Ethan Brown. He's the founder and CEO of Beyond Meat to get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Brown, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Now, look, all right, listen, I, I know I've known you for a while and I know what 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 makes you tick and I know what the analysts don't know, which is that you run a company that's an ethos. It's a belief. Now, there's this Dr. William Wellett. I bet you know him. He's the foremost, foremost uh, health nutrition doctor of our time. And he said last year that if we do, do not take action and switch to a plant-based diet, what is going to happen is we're going to have a catastrophic pandemic. Is that not one of the main reasons why Beyond Meat lives and is doing so well? Right. So I think that's a terrific context to start a discussion. If you look at what's happening, you don't necessarily need to be someone who's versed in biological systems or uh, global ecosystems to, to see a series of incidents occurring that come together as a pattern. Whether you see uh, the coronavirus impact here on the U.S. meat supply or you see what's almost been forgotten, which is the uh, swine flu uh, in Asia or even the uh, avian flu that you're seeing occurrences of now in South Carolina and in Ireland. 
uh, we've reached the point where there's so many livestock on the Earth's surface uh, that we're running into uh, challenges with keeping that system working. And that supply chain is now, as many in the industry themselves have said, is under enormous pressure. So I think we are reaching a tipping point. Now, if we did go to the tipping point, would there be a David Faber kind of chide me in this? But you're not a big company yet. But would there be would you be able to scale to effectively to be able to handle what you know is going to be a, a world that has 10 billion people one day? So, Jim, as you know, I'm, I'm hopelessly focused on, on market share. It, you know, we're a very long-term oriented company, so we're going to look at this summer as a real opportunity for us to be relevant to the consumer as they're looking for solutions as the meat supply has been disrupted. So we're going to take uh, aggressive pricing over the summer to be able to make our product be much more uh, closer to, to the animal protein equivalent. When you look at beef, which is now at $4.10 a pound on the wholesale markets, and you transfer that into retail, we have a fighting chance now as we offer value packs, which, by the way, any retailer that wants to offer a value pack by Beyond Meat, we'd love to sell it to you. Uh, we're developing those right now for the summer season. We view this as a massive opportunity for us to drive trial and win consumers over into our segment. I am tired of hearing people saying, but you know what, the chemicals, whatever. I'm looking at the new sausage. It is far less fat, far less saturated fat, far less sodium. I mean, yeah. the complaints are done. Yeah, uh, you know, that's frustrating for us, too. We're very proud of our process, and our process is a very clean process. It begins with taking protein directly from the plant and then using a system of heating, cooling, and pressure to restructure that into the form of muscle. That's it. You have to compare that with the other process, which is growing the crops and then feeding those crops to animals and then harvesting those animals. So there's many steps in that process as well. It's important to look at each process and say, okay, which one do I prefer? Now, you're welcome to come anytime to our facilities, knock on the door. We'll explain our process to you. We have transparency there. We think that people have the right to see how their food is being made. And so we're very proud of our process. On the ingredients that we've made a commitment to to use no genetic modification at all and to use no artificial ingredients. So we need to make products that mom and dad are very comfortable feeding to their families. And I think we follow through on that commitment. Okay, so what really matters to me is uh, right now there is a a notion that if you do not have the uh, food, you know, the the cafeterias and offices, that that means it's going to be bad. But that show. But you showed retail demand in April was huge. But I am concerned. I interviewed Chris Kempinski at, at McDonald's. About you, okay? And I know he's talking about the trial or not. And he said, he knows I like you. He knows I like the product. He knows I wear the hat. He knows I'm a believer. And I I said to him, well, how's it going? He goes, you know, Jim, our system operates best at scale. We don't do hobbies really well. Use the word hobbies. Then take the hat off. And I go to Kevin Johnson last night at Starbucks. What does he say? We have a great relationship with with Ethan. Why? Because you are doing multi-decade environmental sustainability. Hobby Mm -hmm. or ethos? Mm -hmm. Just terrific. So it's definitely an ethos. It's one that this generation so clearly understands. As we've talked about before, Jim, we go to college campuses and the reaction is amazing because I think particularly this generation coming up understands that we can't continue to have the ratio of people to livestock in a finite ecosystem. So we have to start making a different model for producing meat. And we have that model and people are excited about it. So it's definitely not a hobby. You know, we are working uh, very well with very large uh, QSRs that are global, uh, you know, including McDonald's. The launch, the, the test we did with them was, was, I think, very successful. And what you'll hear from us throughout the course of this year with new partnerships and new relationships globally with some of the world's largest uh, quick-serve restaurants. Well, I have to believe that 
your joint venture with Starbucks in China is going to drive China sales for Starbucks meaningfully, meaningfully move the needle, because that's what that's what Kevin thinks. You agree with me? I'm so excited about that launch. I want to be over there now. I wish I could be there. The moment all these restrictions lift, I'm going. Uh, It's such a great opportunity for us. Um, I love what Starbucks has done. They've made a commitment to sustainability and to health, and and they're living uh, uh, up to that commitment. So it's something that I'm uh, very eager to. Look at all of our partners. Look at the the sausage at Dunkin', for example. All the uh, incredible... you know, benefits there, whether Carl's or, or Hardy's, et cetera, where you're getting more protein, more iron, you're getting less fat, you're getting less saturated fat, you're getting less sodium. These are benefits. And so the next step for us is to continue to drive down our direct materials and direct labor, which right. we did very well over this last quarter, which produced that, that, that record uh, uh, gross margin. Um, we had the lowest cogs we've ever had uh, as a company in this past quarter. And you know what? We're going to keep marching that steady progression right. of continuing to achieve those cost reductions. So someday we can underprice animal protein. We need to do a this billion dollars in forward. sales, all right? Billion dollars in sales next time we see each other. Ethan Brown, great, founder, okay. president, CEO of Beyond Meat. It's not a hobby. It's an ethos. Mad Money's back after the break. Look, I always tell you that it's better to be lucky than good. And this pandemic shows us why every dark day, because bad luck trumps management's attempts to grow or turn around. Look at Mattel. After struggling for years in the wake of the Toys R Us bankruptcy, Mattel finally got its act together and the stock was getting real traction at the beginning of the year. It looked like 2020 would be a gigantic year for the maker of Hot Wheels, Barbie dolls and a host of other brands. Then COVID-19 hit and Mattel's turnaround disappeared. First, there were supply disruptions. Then toy stores were forced to close. As we saw when Mattel reported last night, they're having a really rough time. The company posted a 56 cent loss, 56 cents, when Wall Street was looking for only a 41 cent loss. Much weaker than expected sales, down 12 percent on a constant currency basis. Management had to pull through their guidance, although based on their commentary, April doesn't sound too wide either. We're seeing a very different story, by the way, at our rival Hasbro, which had a decent quarter, in part because Hasbro's got a lot more exposure to classic games that you know and love. Monopoly, Life, Clue, Shoots and Ladders and the like. So now Mattel's stock has been hammered down again today, another 1.34%. Ouch. <clears throat> There's only so much management can do when the environment's against you. But with the economy gradually opening, is it time to take a more opportunistic approach here? Or is this the wrong toy horse? Let's check in with Enon Kreis. He's the chairman and CEO of Mattel. You get a clearer sense of how his company's holding up. Mr. Kreis, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, James. Good to be here. Okay, so Enon, I'm a little worried because there's some classics here. Uh, Barbie, a dollar, made a big comeback when you were here last, down 10%. Uh, American Girl, down 16%. These are classics. Uh, what's happening? I never thought these could go, would go down hard, even if we're on the cusp of recession. Well, we entered the year strongly, and as of January and February, we were up, uh, pacing slightly ahead of market. The decline in the, co- in the third, uh, in March, was driven primarily by temporary closure of retail stores representing 30% of our sales, with retailers prioritizing essential items, and there was temporary category shift in consumer demand. But we're starting to see a change. We're starting to see a shift in demand. Total POS, this is sales or demand, uh, normalized for Easter is showing improvement in April compared to March, especially in the U.S., where in the last two weeks we saw double-digit year-on-year increase and triple-digit increase online. Online retail continues to grow strongly and performed especially uh, in the U.S., uh, although not completely offsetting the decline in bricks and mortar. 
But quarter to date, our online POS uh, demand in the U.S. has increased over 90%. If the retail environment returns to normal, we expect it will be a good holiday season. But it's too early to tell at this time. But that's that's very bullish. I, I, when I read most of the analysts, you know, someone went through your conference call. A lot of it was just talking about how your supply chain, which had seemed like it had been compromised, is now better. This is a very uh, positive story that you're telling me about a comeback that uh, that could accelerate if the economy really does, uh, let's say, bounce back on the op- on the reopening. Well, you know, in spite of the decline in the quarter, you need to remember, we still have very strong brands that perform very well and still resonate with consumers. Hot Wheels was up 8%. Our games portfolio, albeit small, outpaced the industry, and we actually gained market share with Uno being the number one purchased item in the category globally. Even Barbie, which declined, grew market share. Uh, and so we're seeing continued momentum. We're seeing strength in Fashionista and Color Reveal. And we're seeing a positive direction in April POS so far, with Barbie remaining the number one fashion doll brand in the world. All right. Now, uh, over your left shoulder is uh, Hot Wheels, which is doing well. But Thomas the Tank Engine, I mean, a iconic brand. It, it seems to have stalled. Well, Thomas is a great brand. Just recently, Prince Harry... Uh, partner with us to do a promotion. Uh, it is a great brand that is evergreen, and we're very confident about the return uh, to the haters of, of, of uh, Thomas. Uh, it is impacted now, but we launched recently a new show on Netflix, and we expect things will turn. Now, your your entertainment background, I was hoping, of course, it'd be shoot a lot of different things. It'd be terrific. But with COVID, uh, that part of your uh, 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 of your portfolio uh, is, is it stunted? Because no one's making anything. Well, we're very excited about our film strategy and about our approach, our mid to long term uh, uh, plan to, to, re- to capture the full value of our IP. We continue to develop our projects in, in motion in the time where people were home. We actually made a lot of progress on the development side, uh, working on uh, the creative aspects of our projects. And we expect things to continue. Now, there's probably going to be some impact on, on timing because of the delay. The industry um, is experiences in relation to our production and some release schedule. But we're very much on track with a lot of excitement and momentum in our film and content strategy. In the meantime, you think that you've preserved enough in the, in the, uh, the balance sheet to have enough liquidity if things don't turn uh, quickly or they go back to where they were in the uh, second half of March? Well, we refinanced our near-term debt uh, and now have no maturities until March of 2023. We entered the year with more than $600 million in cash and access to $1.6 billion of credit facilities. So we believe we have sufficient liquidity to effectively manage through the COVID disruption and continue to execute our strategy. Okay, you've got a new line that I think is going to sell, which is called Thank You Heroes. Uh, line of doctor, nurses, EMT, delivery driver, action figures. Uh, how is that going and what will you do with the proceeds? Well, we're very um, excited to be able to support communities in, time, in times of need. We recognize the role we play as a global corporate citizen, and we're looking to leverage our expertise, product, and resources to support uh, the communities where we, where we live. Uh, all proceeds uh, from this campaign 
will go to donation. Uh, first Responders First is a charity organization that, we, that we're supporting. And we're really dedicated uh, to community support through producing, also in addition to donation, uh, protective equipment for medical professionals. We just announced 500,000 face shields and providing grants and toy donations where we can. All right. Well, look, I, I do want you to turn around. I hope those April numbers stay strong because it could be a great opportunity. Enon Christ, Chairman and CEO of Mattel. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Turnarounds are hard, people. And the pandemic is making it tough for everyone. His April numbers are much better. So let's take a look. We have money's back after the break. It is time! Top of the light, Rebecca's favorite. Rebecca goes one and another. She's still the best. She's 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 the and then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with Davis in Texas. Davis. You're talking to him, Jim. You're oh, boy. You're talking to him. You're talking to a 93-year-old ex-Merrill Lynch partner and vice president. Yes. Congratulations, sir. Congratulations. Right. Let's go to work. Jim, I'm talking to you for one basic reason. You do the best job on television. Wow. Do it for everybody, and we'll understand the market better and better. That's the Knock goal. Thank you, sir. That, well, you, you've done a hell of a job, uh, the, Thank you. Uh, Jim. Now, listen, Jim, uh, what do you think about uh, CrowdStrike? CrowdStrike is the single best cybersecurity company to play for the revolution of being Online, in the cloud, working at home. I like it very much. I'm not slant. I'm not trying to say anything bad about Okta. By not saying the Kramer family, Okta isn't the best. But that is a great one. Thank you, sir. Robert in Texas. Robert. Hey, Jim. My stock is Camping Wolf Holdings, CWH. CWH, they're making a comeback. And I've got to tell you, I know that it's been rocky. I know that stock's been down a lot. But I do think that camping is coming back. And now that they're opening the economy, look, look I, do I just say, you know, pound the table here? That's a tough thing to do. But I did see the Winnebago report a good number, so I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Let's go with Dennis in Iowa. Dennis. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. To booyah. You. Booyah. Question, Apache. What's your thoughts you, on You caught a double from the end of the quarter. Let's just scram, okay? They, they have really did a bit. You know, I know Mr. Christmas is really nice, but the whole uh, the, the, the Alpine High really just didn't sit well with me. Let's go to Paul in Texas. Paul. Hi. Thank you, Jim, for sure. the call. Um, I'm calling for the first time. And okay. I just want to see um, what's your opinion about land research. All right, Lamb is in the crosshairs of the uh, President of the United States of America. Every time he, he doesn't say anything bad about China, the stock goes up because it's the finest semiconductor equipment company in the world. Every time he says something bad about China, the stock goes down. So I think it's just been too ping pong. It's long been a Kramer fate, but if it comes back, I, I can't recommend it here as long as the trade tensions are as high as they are right now. Brian in Connecticut, Brian. Booyah, what's going on, Kramer? Ah, not much, you know, I'm good in the, living, living the non-dream. How about you? Doing well. I really appreciate you having me on right now. I'm a big fan of the show. All right. Real quick, I just want to say hello to my mom and dad and my good friend Luch out in Vegas and Gordon in Fort Lauderdale. Love them all. Growing up in Connecticut, this is a company I knew about at a really young age. My grandfather lived in Groton and uh, was in the Navy and served in World War II. And um, 
you know, this is a company I believe in. My dad has told me about it a lot. Uh, General Dynamics. All right, you have to take a long view on GD because it's not the favorite one right now. It's not the loved one. And the whole group is a little under under pressure. Uh, but I think General Dynamics is a very good long-term hold. Let's go to Christopher in Minnesota. Christopher. Yeah, how you doing, Jim? All right, Christopher, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, right. uh, I'm looking at UNFI. Uh, oh, United Natural. That is the most inconsistent. You know, that is like... Good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. That's too hard for me, okay? It's too hard for me, and I've got to take a pass on it. I mean, if you want natural if you want natural and you want organic, there's really nothing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. With the economy headed for what looks like a full-blown recession. A lot of well-run companies have gotten very tough to own. Take waste management, Ted Honcho in the North American waste disposal business. The stock has been hammered from 126 to 97 since a COVID come along. The problem, the garbage business is highly cyclical. When there's less economic activity, we produce less trash. That's especially true for construction. Now, when Waste Management reported this morning, the company delivered a top, really solid top and bottom line beat. Pricing held up and commercial collection volume stayed strong at least until the second half of March. However, once the lockdowns went into effect, the commercial business took a real hit. Management had to pull their full-year forecast, but they made it clear they anticipate, quote, a significant decrease in 2020 revenue from planned levels as a result of COVID-19. And that's why the stock closed more than 2% today. So has waste management been punished enough, or like, is it a way to get in or stay cautious? Let's take a closer look with Jim Fish. He's the president of Waste Management. Get more insight into where his business is headed. Mr. Fish, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. How are you? Oh, good, Jim. Good to see you. And uh, thank you. I know you spent a lot of time in your call. Your people are really out there. And a lot of times they are in the front line. And it looks like you have to do a great deal to protect them and you're doing it. Well, we are. I mean, look, uh, probably half of our employees went home and, uh, you know, 20,000 we sent home and they're working from home. And we did that in about four days, five days time. The rest are out on the front lines, and they're doing a great job out there. Uh, we've made sure that, that we put real strict social distancing protocols in and everything we're used to now. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's been amazing, the job that they've done. Now, let me ask you, a lot of people say, hey, so many people are staying at home. They're throwing out a lot of trash. How could waste management not have blowout numbers? They don't understand that you are also heavily levered to commercial construction, which was basically shut down in this country. Well, that's right. I mean, look, if you look at our business, we cover all sectors of the economy, and that includes, you know, retail and restaurants and sporting venues. And so all of that falls within our commercial and our, our uh, roll-off lines of business. And then, of course, our landfills as well. So while residential is, is fine in terms of volume, by the way, there's a lot more trash in each container now. It's, those are up probably 25%. So we've got to go back to those, those guys and get a little more money. Uh, because we didn't contemplate uh, 25% more trash in their trash can. But the commercial business has obviously taken a big hit. And, and it's really part of why we, we didn't give guidance uh, is because the visibility is pretty poor right now with respect to how that returns well, and to, when it returns. But to me, when I, when I read your call, I was thinking, 
it is a difficult balance. The president wants to get everybody to work. We also have a lot of companies that are involved with uh, sickness and recognize that sickness is not going down in a lot of places. Uh, but then I see in your conference call, you talk about how Houston's uh, a ghost town. I mean, this is one of the great growth engines of our country is where you're located. So my feeling is, is that maybe with the opening, there can be a pickup in commercial. Uh, you've seen it just opened. But what's your estimate or hope for this kind of reopening, even with a lot of social distancing, a lot of new rules? You know, I, I tell you how I'd break it down, Jim. I'd break it down into small business and big business. Um, okay. Big business is actually coming back. And I, I talked a little bit this morning on the call about how our roll-off business had been down at the low point of about down 20%. And now it's only down 11%. That sounds like a big number, but but think about the clawback there. I mean, that's, that's almost clawing back half of the downturn. But that's mostly big business there. Small business is in our commercial line. And and the low point, the low water mark, was about uh, maybe down 16%. It's come back a, a point or a point and a half. I do think that that uh, if there is some, some good news here in the commercial line of business, it's that we only saw about 1% cancellations. And we have aggressively tried to pursue those customers to make sure that they are, in fact, going to try and continue. And so 1% is very low in terms of cancellations. What it tells me is, Small business is going to make a shot at coming back. Right. But there's other businesses that we didn't even think of as businesses. Schools, sports. I mean, these are givens in America. School, of course, opens. No. Sports. Well, that's got to be good. No. I mean, how do you? That's got to be a lot of business that just gets lost. Look, I think 15 percent of our commercial line of business is schools. And, and obviously that got shut off literally overnight. So uh, there's no there's no waste coming out of the schools. And I'm hearing things like 40 percent of, of high school seniors are going to take a gap year or, you know, they're talking here in Houston, maybe about having some when they go back the high schools and, and, and middle schools go back next uh, next school year that maybe they go every other day. Maybe juniors and seniors go on Monday and, and sophomores and freshmen go on Tuesday. That in, in, in theory would cut our waste in half. So. I, the good news, though, is that I do think these businesses plan on coming back, and, and that's why you're seeing such a low true cancellation right. number. A lot, a lot of service reductions, about 10% of our total customers reduced service, but, but very few cancellations, which tells me they all want to make a run at coming back. But how many will you have to give, say, a free month to? So we're, we, we put that out there because, uh, look, I, I, right as this thing started, I reached out to a couple of handfuls of, of CEOs that I know, big company CEOs, and said, look, folks, we have to support small business. I, I think they are at, at, at greatest danger here. So if we don't support them beyond what the government's done and, and appreciate what, the, what the, right. the feds have done, but, but we as big business have to support our smaller brethren there. And universally, those, those CEOs came back and said, absolutely agree with you. So that, that uh, that offer that we're giving, which which is really a free month of service for affected small businesses. That's not the that's not big business or or, or mid sized business. Those are small businesses. The you know the, the monogram shops and and right. some of the restaurants. Uh, you know that we would give a free month their first month. And look, it's not going to be desperately expensive. I mean, it's it's going to cost us some money, but I think we established some real loyalty coming out of it. And and that to me is is kind of the long term benefit to shareholders. Well, I think that's an unbelievable move. I wish somewhat that is not being extended, Jim, by other companies. And I really appreciate for what you're doing. That is a highly unusual thing that you're doing. 
Thanks. All right. That's Jim Fish, the president CEO of Waste Management. Run this business the way you got to run it for the long term. Stick with Kramer. Not that long ago, after a disappointing quarter, uh, Jeff Lawson from Twilio came on the show and said, stop worrying. Well, he hit it out of the park tonight. The stock is soaring. Dan Schulman over at PayPal. The stock, the headline said, you know what? It's a missed quarter. Are you kidding me? You listen to Dan. He put up great numbers. April strong stock screaming. And then I'll tell you, Peloton. I know a lot of you feel it's ridiculous. It's just a, it's just a bike. Well, if every gym of any size is closed, well, then you have to get on your Peloton. I'm going to tell my wife to take the clothes off. Start biking. I like to say there's always a bull mark somewhere. The clothes on the, the clothes on the bike. It's always boring. Somebody, I promise to find it just for you right here, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow. Mark's in tomorrow with we'll Scott Wilder. It's next. <laughs> some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing.